I once was a prisoner of my fear and anxiety, but all because of Jesus, my chains are broken. Antes tenía ansiedad y no encontraba el perdón, pero por Jesús he encontrado el perdón y ya no tengo ansiedad. I once felt defeated and without work, but all because of Jesus, I am an overcomer and I have a purpose. All because of Jesus. Pero por Jesús. All because of Jesus. All right, good morning, everyone. How are we feeling this morning? We good? Kind of. Some of our football teams won, some didn't. Most of ours won. We're happy. We decided, yeah, we'll wake up and go to church this morning. My team won today. Well, welcome to church. It's awesome. We get to hang out with you guys. Also want to welcome all of you watching with us online. I know it's already been said, but it truly is an honor because there are so many options out there, and we're just honored that you chose to spend some time with us today. So if you want to go ahead and pull out your notes inside your worship guide, follow along with us today as we are wrapping up our series, All Because of Jesus. It's been such an awesome series all month long. I love, you know, the pictures behind me and the videos every week of just people within the church who have had their lives transformed all because of Jesus. And the theme verse we're using for this series comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. That so much of what we're able to see and what we're able to do and what we're able to experience all because of Jesus. In week one, we learned that all because of Jesus, I am forgiven. And we learned that it's his forgiveness is, is unlike anything we could ever really imagine, that his forgiveness is eternal, meaning it lasts forever, that it is for everyone, even that person you cannot stand. Yes, it's for them too, but it's also essential for our lives. For us to be able to experience the forgiveness of God, we have to be able to forgive. Jesus doubled us down on this when he's talking to his disciples about how to pray. He goes on to say that, hey, if you forgive, you're, you will be forgiven by the Father. But if you refuse to forgive those, then your Father will not forgive you. That hurts. That's tough to take in. That's scripture that we want to act that doesn't exist and we want to just skip past. But it's all because of Jesus that we're able to experience Forgiveness. In week two, we learned that all because of Jesus, I am new. That Jesus didn't come to make us good. He didn't come to make us better. But Jesus showed up to bring dead things to life and make old things brand new. And then last week, we learned that all because of Jesus, I am free. And there's no freedom to experience like the freedom that Jesus gives us. Because so many of us have built our own little box, our own little prison to stand in. And it's only his, his forgiveness and his freedom that allows us to experience what he has for us. And then today, we're wrapping up the series with a message titled, That All Because of Jesus, I Am Called. You are called. You are here on purpose. And maybe you've asked yourself the question like, why am I me? Why do I exist? What am I supposed to do here? God, why in the world did you make me the way that I am? We're going to be able to be able to, to start to uncover some of that today because he's called every single one of us. You're created for a specific reason, whether you believe it or not. We're all created for something. You look at a piano, it's created to create music. You look at a car, it's made to be driven. That is its sole purpose. You look at lights, that's meant for us to not have dark, to be able to light up a room. Listen, the Boston Red Sox exist to torment my every single day of my life. I truly believe that this year. But the truth is we're all created 
for something. We're not created to just have fun and do things that make us feel good and, you know, just live our life and, you know, do you live your truth, I live my truth, but we're all created on purpose for a uh, purpose. We're all called. And I know we can look around and you can say, well, not me. You see, you don't understand the things I've done. You don't understand the things I've experienced, the mistakes that I've made. That's great for that person. Yeah, I can see they're called for that. They're perfect for that, but not me. That's not my lane. Well, that's not the truth at all. That's the lie of the enemy. We can look at people who are influencers or famous and say, yeah, they were meant and born to do that. But you have a specific calling also. You can look even within the church and you can look at pastors and sometimes we'll put pastors up on a pedestal and say, well, they're supposed to be that. You know, that's what they're called to do. They're supposed to lead people to Jesus and teach people about Jesus. That's what pastors are supposed to do. I can never do anything like that. That too is a lie of the enemy. Every single one of you are pastors. Whether you want to believe it or not, you are. Because Jesus gave us the greatest commandment ever. He told us in Matthew chapter 28, he says, hey, you are to go out into the world and make disciples. You're not to go out into the world and do what feels good to you all the time. You're not to go out into the world and just gain as much stuff as you can, get as much money as you can, have as many things as you can to get some sort of status or this or that. That's not why I created you. I created you to go out into the world and make disciples. And the great thing about that is God calls imperfect people. You'll see it throughout the Bible. When we look at Moses, Moses, who was leading the slaves out of Egypt, that's what he was called to do, to lead all of these people, could not speak very well, had a very big speech problem. He was also a murderer. You look at Rahab, she was a prostitute, and she was called by God for a specific reason. One thing to know about Rahab is that she would go on to be the great-grandmother of Jesse, Jesse was David's father, or David, yeah, David's father. You know, David, King David, man after God's own heart, David versus Goliath, David, that guy, yeah, also an adulterer, a murderer, didn't always have it all together. You look at Mary, Jesus' mother, a teenage virgin, gives birth to the Savior of the world. Imperfect people. Why does God choose imperfect people? Because the reality is there has never been and there will never be anyone who ever walks the face of this planet who is absolutely perfect aside from Jesus. That's it. You can breathe. Ha! None of us are perfect. None of us are ever going to be perfect. But Jesus was perfect and lived a perfect, sinless life and was called to die on a cross to bear the sins of the world, our mistakes, all of our stuff. That was his perfect. The great thing about imperfect people is we typically have to rely on someone. We typically can't do it on our own. Imperfect people will rely on God. And the great thing about imperfect people is that other imperfect people can come together on the imperfections that we have together and say, you mean to tell me you went through that? Yes, I most certainly did. Let me tell you how I got through it. It's all by design. That's the character of God. He serve a God who will take people who are outcasts, take people who are not welcome, who are overlooked, who have messed up who are filled with shame and guilt, and he will use them in ways that we could never even imagine. When you look at the 1980 men's U.S. hockey team, when Herb Brooks, who was the coach of that team, was picking the team, they had the greatest players from all over the country to try out for the team, and he kept cutting all these great, amazing players. The executives, the coaches were furious. They were having a meeting. Do we need to get rid of this guy? And they asked him, Herb, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you cutting all the best players? His answer was, I'm not looking for the best players, but I'm looking for the right players. God is not looking for the best players. 
He is looking for the right players. And the right players are those who say, God, I do not have it all together. God, I am broken. God, I need you. God, I need your love, your grace, your wisdom. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I am available to whatever it is you want me to do, God, because I can't do it by myself. Those are the people that God's looking for. Not who we think is the best, but just those of us who say, I don't have it together. God, use me. We are all called for a purpose. And today we're going to uncover three things that I think will help us lead us to what the purpose he has for our lives. So let's pray and we'll dive into his word today. God, we love you. We're just thankful to get to be together in your presence and just want to pray over your word today. Pray it'll speak to us. God, that we'll be able to find your calling. For those of us who are in here and we have no idea what it is you want us to do, God, that we'll just be able to uncover that today. That we'll take a step towards what you have in store for all of us, God. And we'll give you all the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, the first thing that we are called by is God calls us by our passions. Believe it or not, he calls us by our passions. See, we're passionate about a lot of things. It's football season. Right now, we're very passionate about our football teams. But we all have these passions that we have in our lives that really drive us in everything that we do. We look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. We're going to meet Saul. And it says this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in change. You see, Saul's sole purpose in life was to persecute and kill every single follower of Jesus that he could possibly find. He was passionate about it, and man, he was good at it. His sole purpose in life was to kill every Christian he could ever find. That's his passion. That is why he exists. Now, we've all had passions before, things that we're passionate about, things we want to do, things that we think this is what I'm supposed to do. And for whatever reason, they just don't necessarily work out. You know, they last for a month or so, and then it's over. Then it's done with. I can remember a time when I thought I was going to play guitar. Very funny. If you know anything about me, you know that this table has more rhythm than I've got. There's even a joke on the worship team, don't pay attention to powers. He cannot clap on beat to save his life. But I thought I was going to play the guitar. This is going to be awesome. Got all the stuff. I was going to teach myself how to play guitar. Only thing is my hands do not work in that manner whatsoever. I was passionate about it. I wanted it. Just wasn't in the right direction. We see the same thing happen with Saul. Because in Acts chapter 21, Saul, who now becomes Paul, because he had this radical encounter with Jesus that completely changed his life. Now he says, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of Lord Jesus. What a complete 180. This is the dude who is so focused on killing every Christian he can ever find, and now he's willing to do whatever it takes for Jesus. He used to kill Christians, now he's willing to die for Christians. So ask yourself, what's your passion? One, what is your passion? Two, how are we using that passion? In what way is that passion directed? If you find yourself not really being able to answer that question, you'll probably find yourself a lot of the time spending time after something, passionate about something, but for whatever reason you still feel unfulfilled. It's because you haven't found the passion and the calling that God has for your life yet. 
Listen, if you don't know what that is, there's a great way to kind of start that one. It's definitely talking to God and asking about it. But even here at the church, when you go through Roots, which just tells us more about the church, but also you learn a lot about yourself, there's a spiritual gifts test. And this begins to uncover some of the spiritual gifts that God has in your life. Believe it or not, every single one of you are given specific gifts by God. And a lot of the times we don't know what those are until we begin to uncover them. It's a great place to begin. As you look through generation to generation, our passions change a little bit. The Barna Group did a study uh, just recently, and they're a, a huge group who does surveys and studies to just kind of see where people are. They do a lot of things for the church, but they ask Gen Z a question. What are you most passionate about? What's most important to you, Gen Z? And what they found is that success their own personal success is the single most important thing for Gen Z. Nothing else matters other than their own success. It was number one. Two was their own education. Why? Because that's going to get them to success. It's greater than family, greater than anything else. Family was actually like fifth or sixth down on the list. They're passionate about their success. Another interesting part of that study, we found that two-thirds of all of Gen Z wants to graduate from college, get a great job, and become financially independent before their age 30, before they even consider starting their own family. In fact, one in five decided that they wanted to get married and start a family before age 30. They're passionate about their own success, their own desires, their own things. When you dive in deeper and you look at a more granular level of all this, they're focused mostly on music. They are more passionate about music than anything else. It's music, sports, and food. So what does that mean for all of us? One, maybe your passion is there. See, God can use your passion in ways that you could never imagine. Whenever we use our passions, whatever that looks like, to glorify him, it can impact those people in our lives. If you're passionate about music, God can use that in ways you would never imagine. If you're passionate about sports, God can use that in ways you would never even imagine. We see him do it with Paul. We've seen him do it with so many others. He can do it for you as well. We are called by our passions. Number two. We're called by our questions. Yes, it is okay to question God sometimes. He welcomes those questions. We're going to see in Acts chapter 22, Paul is recounting the story of, he, of the interaction that he had with Jesus. And he says in verse 8, he says, Who are you, Lord? He says, And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene. You know, the one you have been persecuting, the one that you hate so much. Yep, right here, I'm the guy. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you are to do. Verse 14 says, then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. So what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins, wa have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Paul was straight up. He's asking questions. Who in the world are you? Who's this guy coming down here? What in the world is going on here? It's okay to ask those questions. We're going to kind of walk through this scripture and, and kind of take some things from it. First thing is, who is God? Have you ever asked that question? God, who are you? Who is God? And asking him what that looks like. See, he determines a lot of what our calling is and what our purpose is. If we're really passive about God, we really don't care, it's not really a priority in our lives, guess what? We're going to be pretty passive about what our calling is. 
we're not going to really realize what that's supposed to be. But if we're constantly pursuing him, boy, he's going to make that really, really relevant in our lives. And we're going to be able to pursue that as well. See, if he's not the authority in our lives, guess what? It's our own responsibility to be able to find our calling. And guess what? We're not very good at it a lot of the times. If we're honest with ourselves, we just know we're not very good at it. So for us, just asking God directly, who are you? Instead of trying to find out on social media. Instead of finding out from that other person. Asking God ourselves, God, who are you? The second thing that he does is, God, what should I do? You know, Jesus, what in the world am I supposed to do? You answered me, told me who you are. What am I supposed to do? Many of us have gone out through our lives without consulting God about anything. We don't talk to him. We don't want to ask him his thoughts on this or his thoughts on that because he knows what's going on, but we don't want to do that. Many of us are following the calling of culture, of what people are telling us, what we see on the news, what we see on social media. We're following the calling of, of, of what our own desires and our own feelings tell us. Listen, those are lies. It's not always the truth. Man, we should be consulting God on every area of our lives, even the small stuff. Hey, God. Where should I eat lunch today? Should I go to Chick-fil-A or McDonald's? Obvious answer, Chick-fil-A. Clearly, it's his chicken, right? But consulting him in everything that we do. So I think a lot of the times when we ask God, what should I do? Hey, God, where do I need to move to make an impact? God, what big city needs you the most so I can go there and make an impact? What foreign country, middle of the jungle, do I need to go to make the impact for you? God, what am I supposed to do? The answer is you are firmly planted where you are supposed to be. It doesn't always mean you have to travel somewhere to make an impact for him. You're planted where you are for a reason. Asking God, who are you? God, what is it that I am supposed to do? And then maybe asking ourselves, what is God trying to tell me? What is God really saying to me? Because with every single question that Paul had, God answered to he didn't ignore the question. He answered, even with our abundance of questions. Have you ever really given him the opportunity to reply? What's our prayer life look like? A lot of the times it's something we're just trying to do in a hurry so we can get on to the next thing. Saying, God, man, listen, you know, I've got this going on, and we're going on this trip soon, and, you know, i got this feeling, and God, I don't know what to do about this. So, you know, I just don't know. Later, and then we're off doing our own thing, and we're just done with it. We're not actually listening to him. That's what our prayer life usually is. What about reading the Bible? Are we in his word every single day? Let me ask us this. Even if we are, are we reading it just to read it, or do we read it and meditate on it? Like, do we get up in the Bible app and be like, oh, no, I'm a few days behind. Click, 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 next day. Click, 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 just so I can get through it. Don't lie, we all know we've done it. We've all done that before, just to be able to get through so I can move on to the next thing. That's just something that I can check off the list. Or am I reading his word so he can actually read me? Because that's what happens. He will use his word to speak to you. What about talking to others about it? Small groups are live right now. I'm telling you, small groups can change your life because you can have those conversations. Say, hey, I'm going through this. I don't know what to do. You get people to pray for you. You pray together, and you actually sit and listen. God will reveal things that you could never imagine. Maybe just being able to apply what you've actually been taught. God, who are you? God, what should I do? What are you trying to say? 
And have you ever actually given a God the chance to question you? Because questions can actually go both ways. He can question you too. What's our response typically look like? When God tells me something or I feel like he's nudging me somewhere, what does that look like? Am I obedient to what he says or am I partially obedient or a little delayed obedience? Just so you know, partial obedience, delayed obedience, that's still disobedient. We're not actually taking that step that he's asked us to take. But here's the great news. If you've missed that, if you've fallen short before, that's okay because your failures do not determine your future. We just got to stop being so focused on what happened in the past when we are not present with the Lord because it completely derails our future. And that's the great thing about God because the third thing is he, is call, he calls us by our hesitations. Calls us by our hesitations. You'll see with this with Paul in Acts chapter 22. It says, but Lord, <clears throat> I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned them. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul didn't want to go. Think about this. He's going to the place where he used to kill all the people who love Jesus. But Jesus is sending him right back in that place. You know he was hesitant. You know he didn't want to go. He was making all the excuses possible. We always like make excuses. There's always an excuse for something. We like pointing the finger at the other person, the other direction. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. But we're never actually going to look inwardly, realize what it is, and realize that the Lord is going to provide the way. And that's okay. Listen, excuses have been around since the beginning of time. Whenever Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit, what did Adam do when he was questioned? She made me do it. It was her. I imagine that scene in Dumb and Dumber where Lloyd and Harry are at the diner with sea bass. And they throw the salt and he walks over and Lloyd's like this. You know that's exactly what Adam was doing. It was her. She, she made me do it. I tried to tell you, but she, that's exactly what happened. We always have excuses. And even Paul with his deep regret, his shame, his guilt, his excuses didn't matter. He hesitated on his calling. It didn't matter. God said, go. Go, I'm going to protect you. He still wanted to use him. He still wants to use you. Listen, we all have our own hesitations. We've all done it. We have a saying in my household that he who hesitates loses. And boy, it has bit me a time or two. About 10 years ago, I was at work. I get a frantic phone call from my wife. She says, hey, where are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm at work. What are you doing? She's like, you have to stop what you're doing right now, and you need to get downtown and meet me for lunch right now. I'm like, why? I, I can't do I got stuff I got to do. I can't do that. So you don't understand. You have to leave right now, get downtown for lunch, because Cal Ripken Jr. is eating lunch in the same restaurant we're in right now. I'm like, huh. yeah, right. See, Cal Ripken Jr. is my favorite baseball player ever. I idolized this guy. I wanted to be him, the Iron Man, breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak. Come on, 2,632 games when it was all said and done without missing a single day of work. He was the man. Like, there's no way. Well, I got to finish this, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do this, and then I'll come. And sure enough, I did this and this and this and this, and then I left, and I went, and I met her for lunch, and sure enough, I missed him by about five minutes. But my wife was kind enough to actually go up and talk to him for a minute. I actually got a picture that she took that sits in our office today of her with Cal Rifkin Jr., the man. And I completely missed him. Why? I hesitated. I didn't just drop what I was doing and going. And yeah, that hurts a little bit, missing Cal Rifkin Jr. 
But how many of us have missed Jesus because we hesitated? I bet we can all answer that question. Yeah, I know I have. There's even times in the Bible where Jesus is talking to people and they're like, hey, yeah, I'll follow you. One instance in Luke chapter 9 was, hey, I'll go, but I need to go bury my father first. Asked another person, like, yeah, I'm all in, but let me go say goodbye to my family before I do that. That's what we do. Jesus, I'm in. The calling sounds great. I can't wait. Let's do this. But I can't right now. The Bama game's about to start. I can't miss that. You're going to have to hold for that, Jesus. You see, I have this beach trip coming up. Can't miss that. Jesus, I haven't accomplished this, 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 or this yet. Once I do all this, then I'll go. We're completely missing everything. We're just go. He's commanded us to go. Listen, we're all created on purpose for a purpose. We're all called. We all matter. No matter what culture may tell you or not, that's the truth. Your passions were given to you by God. And he is big enough for all of your questions. And the amazing thing about him is he will work through your hesitations for your calling. So here's the opportunity to just go, to just do what he has asked us to do, saying, God, I'm going to submit my passions to you. You know I love this stuff. How can you use this for your goodness and your glory? God, I'm going to ask you questions, and I'm going to sit, and I'm going to, answer, I'm going to listen for your answers. And instead of relying on my hesitations, my questions, my problems, my worries, God, I'm going to take the step. I'm going to go because you have called me. I want to share a story with you about a guy named Eddie Ical. Some of you may know who he is. Most of you probably have no idea who Eddie Ical is. He was a legendary surfer from Hawaii in the 1950s and the 1960s. He was a pioneer for big wave surfing. And every single year at Waimea Bay, they have the Eddie Ical Invitational. We have a picture of uh, one of the surfers in that Invitational up on the screen for you. It's a pretty big wave. It's about 30 or so feet. See, he loved surfing so much. It was one of his passions, but it wasn't his greatest passion. Eddie Ikao's biggest passion was people. Where if he could find someone to help, he would do whatever he could to help somebody. It's one of the reasons why he was hired as the very first ever lifeguard at Waimea Bay. I mean, those were his working conditions. And when Waimea Bay is at its peak, those waves can get anywhere from 60 to 70 feet tall. That whenever the waters are bad and it becomes that dangerous and everyone is fleeing, he's the guy who's running into the danger zone. That's who he was. In fact, he saved 500 people while he was lifeguarding at Waimea Bay. No one ever lost their life on his watch. Well, you see, in 1978, he and a lot of his surfer buddies and a lot of people from their community decided they were going to take a trip from Hawaii to Tahiti. It was a 30-day, 2,500-mile trip in these big, giant wooden paddle boats that they would make themselves. They were doing this in honor of their Polynesian heritage. During the course of that trip, they got into some dangerous waters. It was treacherous. It was bad. One of the boats sprung a leak, and there were about a dozen or so guys in that boat that all had to bail out because the boat would eventually sink. It wasn't the boat that he was in, but Eddie did what Eddie would always do. He jumped out of his perfectly good, perfectly safe boat to go save the other people. And sure enough, it was Eddie Ical that even in the deadly waters, middle of a storm, was able to save every single one of the guys who were on the boat that sank. 
The tragic part of that is as he was saving the very last person, he did tragically drown and die, but he saved everybody. That's who he was. He would do whatever it took to save someone. That's his legacy. So it would live on forever. This saying became popular. It was, Eddie would go. It became really popular in the surfing community and has since spread across the world. But Eddie would go started out as a meaning of, well, Eddie would surf that wave. Are you afraid to surf that wave? Is it too big? Eddie would go. But it became much bigger than that. Meaning if there was a need somewhere, if someone was in need of saving, if someone was in trouble, well, Eddie would go. Eddie would do it. And when you look at the life of Eddie Aikau, you can draw some comparisons to the life of Jesus. Jesus would do whatever it would take to save the one. If there was a need, Jesus would go out and meet it. If there was someone in trouble, Jesus would do whatever he could to go get that person. Jesus was born into a broken, sin-fallen world, full of death and destruction. And when everyone else is fleeing, everyone else is scared, everyone else is running away, Jesus too would paddle right out into the impact zone to save anybody. And that's what he did. He died on the cross for all of us. Why? Because we're all that important. He would do that. So Eddie would go. And Jesus did go. The question is, will you go? You've been called. You're created on purpose for a person. Will you go? I want to pray for you. If you'll bow your heads, close your eyes. And maybe you're here and maybe you're just kind of treading water. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you do have passions and you don't know where to direct them. Maybe you have a million questions for God and you just don't even know where to begin. Or maybe you're just hesitant. You're worried. You've been let down before. You just don't know which way to go. Jesus commanded Paul, even with all his hesitations, he said, go, just go. Have trust, have faith in me. Just go, I'll protect you. Just go, I will lead you. Just go, I've got you. If that's you, maybe God is telling you today, just go. Don't worry about it, just go, I've got you. It starts with that step of faith. It starts with a decision. If that's you, you just simply say, God, today I'm ready to go. Got to recognize that I don't have it all together. And I'm asking for forgiveness for all my sins. That I recognize that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. And today I want to recognize him as my Lord and Savior. I want to make Jesus number one in my life. I want to discover my purpose and live it for you. And God, that's our prayer for all of us. Maybe there's some here today who just aren't quite sure. They feel like they're halfway living out their purpose. They feel like they're in a direction, but they're hesitant, they're unsure. God, I just pray you make it clear as day. I pray you give us the time. I pray you give us the patience to be able to sit and just listen for you. Because I know you'll show up because you promise you will. And you've never broken a promise. And we know you'll show up. God, I pray that we'll be able to find our purposes together and live them for you. Whatever you have called us to, God, we'll give you all the credit and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
Can we honor Jesus together this morning? Come on, church.